As soon as I walk up here, cut it. And they, all right, you guys are doing your own thing today. That's cool. Um, so it's true, I am a diehard Cincinnati Bengals fan. And a couple weeks ago, um, one of my good friends here at Grace, his name is Zach, he came up to me and he said, I got a, I got a gift for you. Um, he said, you know, you've been wearing this, this Chad Johnson jersey, and he doesn't even play for the Bengals anymore, and it's pathetic, man. Like, get yourself at least a current jersey. And so he... he he presented me with this. This is like an official like game jersey. Andy Dalton, the new quarterback of the Bengals, autographed. Autographed. Yeah, it's pretty sweet, right? So I, of course, was, was incredibly thrilled with this gift. Um, and, yeah, I, I have a problem. I'm a, I'm a diehard Cincinnati Bengals fan, so it's kind of confessional time. One of the things that, that, that I tend to do when I think about the Bengals is, is – I kind of put them in this, this you know, larger-than-life type of category. And I remember being at a Redskins-Bengals game a couple of years ago, and um, I, I managed to get down to the, to the tunnel where the players were leaving the field. And so I got to the edge of the tunnel, and, um, and I leaned over, and just as, I, as I'd reach all the way down, if they reached as high as they could, they could, like, give me a high five. And so since there were, like, three Bengals fans in the entire stadium at, you know, Washington, D.C., um, they were, you know, excited, and so they, all the players were coming by, and they were high-fiving, you know, uh, my brother and I, as we were leaning over, decked in full Bengals gear. And I remember I came home, and I said to Becky, I'm like, I am never washing this hand. Like, you don't understand how many Bengals players high-five me today. It was awesome. I was like, and she goes to me, what's, dude, what's the big deal? She's like, they're just people like you and me. And, Nothing, nothing special about them. They just happened to play football. Totally didn't get me. I was like, but I've never washed in the hand anyway. You don't get me. That's okay. Um, but, you know, it's funny as we're starting this, um, or in week two of this Bad Boys of the Bible series, uh, I don't know about you, but I have the tendency to, when I think about some of the great names of the Bible, some of the great people of the Bible, you think about um, Abraham and Moses and Noah and David and Samson, and Samuel, and Peter, and Paul, and all these big names. I don't know about you, but I tend to put them up on this pedestal where th- there's no way I could possibly do the kind of things that they did. I could never be as great in God's eyes as some of those mighty people of the Bible. And so the premise of this entire series, the goal of this series, is to help all of us to remember that while these guys did some great things, they were just ordinary people, just like you and me, made plenty of mistakes, had tons of weaknesses, did all kinds of stuff that they weren't proud of. Uh, But God was still able to work in them and through them for uh, amazing things. So that's why it's called Bad Boys of the Bible, in case you missed it uh, for our, our series kickoff. Um, that's kind of what we're doing here this summer. So today we're going to look at Moses. And um, Moses, the story of Moses begins in the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible, because Genesis, Exodus, if you brought your Bible, you can turn to Exodus chapter 3. The reason that it's called Exodus, the book of Exodus is called Exodus, it's very appropriately named, because 
It's the story of the Jewish people and their exodus from Egypt. It's their leaving Egypt. And they are also known as the Israelites and the Hebrews. So these are all names that all basically mean the same thing, talking about this group of people. And so they're down in Egypt and they're, they've been enslaved to, by the Egyptians for hundreds and hundreds of years where we pick up the story in, uh, in Exodus chapter 3. And at this point in the story, Moses is a grown man and he's actually not in Egypt anymore. He's fled from his life because he was worried about being killed by Pharaoh. And so he has left and he's in this region outside of Egypt, totally disconnected from everybody, called Midian. And he is shepherding a flock of sheep. And you might have heard of Moses in the burning bush. So Moses sees this bush on fire and he's captivated by it. And he goes over because while the bush is on fire, it's not being consumed. It's not burning up. And so it's this miraculous sight. Well, he goes over to the bush and what he realizes is that God is there. And God starts speaking to Moses. And there's this back and forth exchange. I'm going to go right to the crux of what God says to Moses. And we pick it up in verse 7 of Exodus chapter 3. It says, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. He's speaking about, yeah, you know, your people, Israelites, the Jewish people. You guys are enslaved in Egypt. I've seen the misery. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. So now go. I am sending you, Moses. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So God makes this mighty call to Moses. says, Moses, you, you're the one that I'm sending to go and, and, and send my people out. Let's see how Moses responds to that. Next verse, it says, but Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I, God? Now, Moses has great cause to say, who am I? If we look a chapter earlier in Exodus chapter 2, this gives us a little picture of, uh, of something that Moses did here, in, starting in verse 11. So it says that one day, this is back in chapter 2, and one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, and he watched them at their hard labor. Now, the question immediately becomes, why was he just watching all of his people at their labor? Why wasn't he laboring as a slave as well? Well, the deal was that Moses actually, when he was a little baby, was put into this basket and sent down the river as a way to save him because all the, the Hebrew babies were being killed. And he was actually seen by Pharaoh's daughter who had mercy. And actually then Moses ended up growing up in an Egyptian household. He was raised as an Egyptian. So Moses was born a Hebrew, an Israelite. But he was raised with all the privileges of an Egyptian. So he's looking out and he's seeing all of his, his own people by his birth. Uh, he's seeing them doing this hard labor. So it says he, he, see, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. So looking this way and that way and seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. So right there, we get this pretty good understanding of why it was that Moses says, who am I that, that I would be the one to, to, to do this thing? Okay? I don't know how many of you guys um, have like a family member or a friend you know, who's ever killed somebody. Just show of hands. Anybody? Yeah. You know, you got you to realize... Moses has become so enraged with this situation that he has killed this guy. Now, you've got to remember, there were no guns back then. 
okay? So it's not just like he just popped the guy and, you know, took him out. I mean, he, he was so enraged, he was so sickened by what he had seen that he beat this guy until he was actually dead. So just think of how much anger. Think of, think of what you've got to be able to channel. It's pretty difficult to, you know, kill somebody. So the point of this is Moses isn't seeing himself as the poster child of, like, you know, a religious person, okay? So, so you know, if you've ever thought you know somebody who's, who's killed somebody or whatever, you've read about them in the news, they're not the person that comes to mind when you think about a good Christian person, right? That God's going to call to do something. So we see in verse 15, it says, so he's, he's killed this Egyptian, he's buried him in the sand, but then word leaks out. And it says in verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and he went to live in Midian. So he left Egypt, and he's out in Midian. And here's the deal. So Moses, at this point, is a fugitive on the run, okay? He is, is an outcast by, by all respects, and what he ends up doing is he ends up becoming a shepherd. Now, in that day, shepherding was the lowliest, most despised profession, if you could even call it a profession at all. You had no respect from anybody. Okay, you were like the scum of the earth, right? So, so here he is in this despised profession as a lowly shepherd. He's got some sort of an, a major impulsive anger type thing going on. He's, he's killed a man, which is clearly something that he was not supposed to do. And then on top of that, for the last 40 years, he's been outside of Egypt. So God says, okay, now you go. Now what's Moses thinking? For the last 40 years, I haven't even like seen any of my people. And to top it all off, for the first 40 years that I lived there, I was raised as an Egyptian. So, like, I don't even know, you know, how do I even make a connection with my fellow Israelites? See, Moses is just not a good candidate. And so, no wonder when God says, hey, Moses, you're going to go. Moses is like, who am I? I'm like, I'm the worst choice you could possibly come up with, God. Well, let's look at God's response to when Moses says, who am I? Exodus 3.12. So, then God says, Moses. I'll be with you. It's cool, man. I will be with you. Ultimate reassurance, right? Moses says, verse 13, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And then they ask me, well, well, what's his name? Well, well, then what should I tell? So God responds. He says, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. The elders of Israel will listen to you. In verse 20, I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, Pharaoh will let you go. Moses replies, but what if they don't believe me? So then God says, all right, Moses, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a couple of signs. I want you to take that staff that you're holding in your hand. I want you to throw that staff down on the ground, and it's going to turn into a snake. And Grab that snake by the tail, it'll turn back into a staff. Now I want you to reach your hand into your jacket, pull it out, and it's going to be leprous. It's like you have leprosy on your hand. Now stick it back in your clothing, pull it out, and it's like you got a normal hand again. He said, those are two signs. If they don't believe you based on those two signs, let me give you a third sign. Take some water from the River Nile, pour it onto the bank of the river, and it'll turn into blood. Now go. So immediately following that, Moses said to the Lord, he said, sure, let's go. That's beautiful. I've seen enough. Did he say that? No. 
says, um, pardon your servant, Lord. Um, see, I have never been eloquent. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Now, there's a lot of debate as to, you know, what exactly this meant. Did Moses have some sort of speech impediment? Was he just deathly afraid of public speaking? You know, what was going on there? We're not exactly sure, but Moses is clearly saying, I mean, I am not the guy. I am not the communicator. I really struggle in this area. So then God responds to this other objection by saying this, Moses, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. All the way along, God is answering every objection, every single thing that Moses says. God says, it's cool. We're going to take care of this. No, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. So he's answered Moses every single time along the way. And then this next verse is probably my favorite thing that Moses says in all the Bible. Because he's out of, he's out of uh, stuff now. He's out of objections. So he just goes, okay, God, just please just send somebody else. Just, uh, you know, I just don't want to go. Just, just, I don't want to do this thing. Just send somebody else. And it says in verse 14, God's had enough. He says, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Still gets Moses to go, but God is clearly frustrated. So here's the question. Here's the question in all this. Why in the world would God choose Moses? I mean, not only is Moses not interested at all, he's going kicking and screaming all along the way, no interest in doing this, but Moses is actually the least likely candidate that he could possibly choose. He's this impulsive, angry, fiery guy who's killed somebody in cold blood, He's completely disconnected from his people. He's been, he's been away from them for the last 40 years. He obviously has some sort of a major problem in communicating, which would be a big deal in kind of rallying all the people and getting them to go wherever they needed to go. So, I mean, he, he's like the least likely candidate. Why in the world did God choose Moses? Why? Well, let me give you two things that stand out to me from the scriptures. If you want to follow along and you want to write these down, um, feel free. The first one is this. The reason that God chose Moses is because God wants the heart. You want to write that in. God wants the heart. It's fascinating to me in the, the day and the age that we live in that the number one thing that we need when, when we're thinking about any sort of job opportunity whatsoever is what? It's not heart. It's a resume, right? You better have your resume together if you're basically looking to apply for any position these days. It doesn't really matter what it is. People want to see what your resume look like. So you got to have that. I mean, you, you, you can't walk in an interview without this. You're like naked. You might as well be naked walking in there, right? I mean, you're just, you've got to have this. this. This is like the benchmark for how we're measured. Everyone uses this to evaluate, is this somebody we want to interview? Is this somebody we want to hire, right? And it's not even just the fact that we use this resume to evaluate hiring decisions. But actually, this has become so commonplace and so pervasive, there's nothing wrong with it. But the reality is that this isn't just how we're measured for jobs, but I would argue that this is actually how we're starting to measure ourselves, that we think in terms of what does my resume look like, my self-worth, my stock, you know, wh- what do I look like on paper? What have I really done? What are my accomplishments? What does my resume look like? 
Now, that may be how we either consciously or subconsciously measure ourselves, but that's not the way God measures us. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, the Lord doesn't look at the things that people look at. See, people look at outward appearance. Stuff like resumes, the kind of house you live in, the car you drive, stuff like that. But the Lord looks at the heart. See, God's not interested at all in this. God could care. That, that, that's, a, that's a Western society thing that we use as a, as a great tool to try and help us in making good decisions when we hire people. But God's ultimately not interested in that. God's interested in our heart. And that is why he chooses Moses. Because think about it. Moses' resume is terrible. It's worthless. What qualifications does Moses have that would make him the right candidate for this job? He's got nothing. So God doesn't care what your resume looks like. God cares about Moses' heart. And three times in Exodus chapter 2, the chapter before Exodus chapter 3, three times we get little windows of insight into Moses' heart. And we get to see what God sees in Moses and why he chose him. We've already looked at one. That one was where he saw the Egyptian beating the Hebrew slave. And he was so enraged, and he took it way too far. He actually killed this guy, okay? But he was so enraged by the injustice that he couldn't help himself. He had to confront the issue. He had to step in and intervene. But check out what happens the next verse after that, after he, he um, kills the Egyptian in Exodus 2.13. It says, The next day Moses went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting. So he asked the one in the wrong, notice that, the one in the wrong, he asked, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? So what is Moses doing there? Once again, he's confronting the one who is perpetrating the situation, and he's basically saying, dude, you've you got to stop doing this. He's, 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 he, can't, he can't help himself. He sees injustice. He has to address it. So then word starts to spread, so he he hears that, man, there's a plot to kill him, so he escapes from Egypt. He goes into Midian, right? And he he's, travels to this well, and we're in verse 16 now, and it says, Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along, and they drove these women away. But Moses got up, and he came to their rescue, and he watered their flock. So a third time here, what do we see? We see once again, Moses comes and he rallies alongside the underdog, the one who is being oppressed, the one who's being victimized or abused. He, there's just something in him that he can't stand it. Moses is fired up about injustice. Here's a question I want to ask you. We've looked at Moses' heart. What fires you up? What is it that gets your heart racing? Your blood pumping a little bit faster. And I, you know, just to be clear, I'm talking kind of thinking in, term, in things of God, okay? I'm not talking about, you know, uh, cutting someone off who's the, the jerk in front of you in, in rush hour traffic on the beltway who just kind of poached over, you know, and, and cut you off. I, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, what is it that really gets you going in this world that, that you believe that God could use? You know, so often... When we think about, okay, well, what could God possibly, you know, 
do in my life? What, what, what could God possibly do in and through me? We, we start asking that question at times. We start thinking, what can I really do? You know? um, I would say, at least for me, that where I often start is, okay, you know, what, what qualifications do I have? What experiences do I have? We start with our resume. God never starts with the resume, you guys. God starts with the heart. So, what is in your heart? What gets you going? What do you long to do? What makes you come alive? Besides, like, you know, the fact that it's air-conditioned, we have our power back on, okay? I mean, let's go a little deeper than that. Now, there are some of you in this room, and when I say that, you instantly already know. There's something that just grabs you. There's some issue, there's some cause, you're already all about it. There's, there's something in this world, and you know, this is where I want to serve. This is where I want to make a difference. This is what gets me going. And I know that God is behind that, and I know that, that God looks down and, and he sees me doing that, and that's just an awesome thing. So there's some of you in this room, and you already know what your cause is, your thing is. You already know what it is that fires you up. And I just want to say to you, if you know already, keep pushing into that. Keep pushing into that. Now, there are many others of you here, and you're like, fired up, man. Like, I mean, what the heck? I, I have no idea. You know, I'm happy to be here, and, it's, you know, glad the lights are on and that you don't have the Bengals jersey in your hand anymore. Um, but you, you don't really have this thing that you're like, yeah, this is my thing. This is my, this is my you know, Moses found his thing. I, I, don't, I don't have my thing. Now, I would say to you, yeah, you may not have something that just, like, burns in your heart that you've got figured out. But what I believe about every single one of us is that all of us have this desire to be a part of something great. All of us have this desire to make a difference in this world, to leave this world a little bit better than we found it, to want to be able to somehow contribute and give back. And so you may not exactly know what that looks like right now. Let me tell you something. As you, as you start to think about, yeah, what is that for me? Don't ever let this way of thinking hold you back. Because we start with our resume. We start with our qualifications. We start with what we look like on paper. And God never starts there. So um, John mentioned in the announcement time that after the service today, we're doing this little uh, volunteer lunch thing where if you've been coming to Grace and you've been wondering, yeah, how do, how do I get plugged in here? Like, there's these different volunteer teams, there's different ways to serve, but what does that look like and what does Grace believe about that and how would I ever join one of those teams? Well, today is the day and it's just a few minutes of your time right after service. We've got a bunch of food. It's actually, I think it's room 126 where we're going to have this thing. Uh, and we're going to have our team leads that are going to be down there sharing what their teams do and the kind of commitment that is required. And it's just a great opportunity to jump in. Now, there are many of you in this room, and you're thinking, you know, I, I really like this church, but man, there is no way that I could possibly do that. Because, you know, I'm here, and I have more questions than anybody in this place. I, I feel like I'm so, uh, you know, other people are like out here spiritually. I'm, I'm just like in the infancy stage. I don't even know. I have, I have so much stuff that I don't have figured out. I, I have no formal training in any sort of, you know, any of this stuff. There's no way that, that they would want me, okay? Let me tell you something. I've got to be crystal clear on this, okay? At Grace, there are no prerequisites. There are no requirements. There are no qualifications that we take. The only, quali- I mean, unless you're playing up here, okay? You can't just get, you can't just get up here. <laughs> so, so just stop that right now, okay? 
that's the exception. But with all the other teams, um, all, all you need is a willing heart. You have a willing heart to serve? That's all you need because that's what God requires. God's not interested in the resume, and we're not either here at Grace. I cannot encourage you enough. If you feel like you'd like to you know, be more of a part of what's going on here, and you'd like to give back in some way, stop by. Stop by. It's free food anyway. You know, whatever. Stop by for that. Um, so God's not interested in our resume. He's interested in our heart. Now, the second reason why God chose Moses, and this might mess with some of you. Some of you are going to be like, ooh, this is totally cool. And others of you are going to be like, this is, sounds a little messed up. All right? Reason number two, God chose Moses because God wants the glory. God wants the glory. Romans eleven thirty six says, for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. Everything is intended for God's glory. Now, let's be clear on one thing. Does God need the glory? Does God have a need to be glorified? No, not in any way. Thank God he doesn't need the glory, okay? Because I don't know if you have someone in your life who is just desperately insecure and like, I mean, hypersensitive about everything. You know what I'm saying? And they need to be stroked all the time. And they, you know, it's just neat, you know, just you get around needy people. And, you know, I've been needy myself at times, you know. But you get around someone like that. And, man, you can just be like, hey, you just, you're just saying whatever. It's a, you just say, hey, how's it going? And they're like, oh, what are you talking about? How are you asking me why I'm going? You know, if you're, if you're needy or, 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 you know, insecure, man, it's, it's really tough. So God is not. God is not needy. God is not insecure. God is totally complete. God is totally at peace, okay? God doesn't need the glory, does not need the glory, but he wants the glory, and here's why he wants the glory. Let's just suppose for a minute that instead of choosing the most unlikely of leaders in who he chose in Moses, okay? Terrible resume, can't believe that he chose Moses. Let's say instead he found someone that was born and raised a Hebrew slave, okay? And he was one with the people. And then this guy, you know, just everyone respected this guy. And on top of that, people just kind of gravitated to this, this person because they just had an incredible personality and they had incredibly, uh, you know, they were incredibly good looking and they were smart. And so God sees this person and he says, you know, this person has all the tools and, and they would know how to devise a strategy and how to rally everybody, right? And so God says, I'm gonna pick that person. I'm going to pick that person. And they're like the most incredible speaker of the people have ever heard. Hang on every word. What is the problem? What is a potential risk in picking someone like that? Well, what happens if something happens to that leader? So leaders got them all excited and everyone's got their faith where? In God? No, in the leader, right? Everyone's got their faith in that human being right there. What happens if that human being has some sort of a moral failing? What happens if that leader does something and all of a sudden loses everyone's respect? Or what happens if something happens to that leader, they get sick and they die? Where does that leave everyone? We're sunk, right? Because all of our hope and all of our trust and all of our faith has been poured into this person, this fallible person who's going to make mistakes, who's going to screw up, and ultimately can't promise to always be there for us whenever we need us, right? So, The deal is, 
that God chose Moses, the most unlikely, improbable person, because God wanted it to be so painfully obvious that the deliverance that was happening wasn't through Moses. It wasn't because Moses was some brilliant candidate. It wasn't some incredible leader. He wanted every single person to know that the deliverance was because of Almighty God and that they didn't need to put their trust and their hope and everything into Moses. You know what's funny? Did, did Moses actually, a little trivia for you, did Moses actually lead them to the promised land? Did he lead them all the way to the promised land? No, he didn't. He died before they got there. Now, if they had put all their faith and all their hope and all their stock in Moses, Man, that would not have been good, right? Joshua ends up leading them into the promised land because the people put their hope and their trust and their faith in God. They knew that it was God, not Moses or any other human being that was with them, that they could trust and they could follow. They knew that they could count on the God who would never leave them nor forsake them. What's fascinating is if you read through Exodus, you just read through the the whole story, the whole book of Exodus, what you'll see is there's this recurring theme in there. And I've, I've given you a verse, uh, Exodus 14, 4. And this repeats itself, not exactly this way, but g- the general gist and idea is very much this way, what you see in Exodus 14, 4. Over and over and over again, God says words along these lines. He says, and he basically game plans the whole thing out. This is how it's all going to go down, and, and don't worry, you've got the victory in me. And so he's just saying this over and over. He says, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And it repeats and repeats and repeats. But I will gain glory for myself, and they'll all know that I am the Lord. Now, does that strike anybody else as sounding a little arrogant? A little conceited, almost? Don't strike me down, guys. But um, you know what I'm saying? But I'll gain glory for myself. Now, again, God doesn't need the glory. doesn't need it. But there's a reason that he wants to gain the glory. If you read the New Living Translation version of Exodus 14.4, I think it's interesting. It translates from the Hebrew into the English, and it puts it in just a slightly different way that's very helpful for me. He says this, I have planned this in order to display my glory. To display my glory. See, God doesn't need the glory. But he's displaying his glory for who? For us, for you, for me. See, if, if we are putting all of our hope and all of our faith and all of our trust in the almighty God, it's actually the greatest encouragement to us when we see God glorified. It's not because God needs to be glorified. We need to see God glorified. That's how we're strengthened. That's how we're encouraged. You know, a couple weeks ago, we did, um, we, we, we did some baptisms right up here on the stage. It was really cool if you were here. And um, in different services, we had different people share their, their testimonies, their story of what God has done in their life. That's why it's called a testimony, because it testifies to what God has done in your life. Those, for me, are, are I, could, I, I could sit and listen all day long to people testify about what God has done in their life. You know why? Because ultimately, it's not a story about how great you are standing up there. It's actually quite the opposite. But the, what, what happens is you sit there and you lift up all the, all the things that God has done, all the ways that God has moved in your life. And it's so incredibly powerful 
to everyone who listens. Any time that God is glorified, it strengthens us. Think about it. You have a friend, and, and maybe they come to you and say, man, you'll never hear this just miraculous thing just happened to me. You'll never believe the prayer that just got answered. I mean, think back in your, in your own life when you had someone that you trust, you knew just you know, wasn't making something up, but you really knew you could trust what they were saying, and they share a story like that. What does that do to your faith? It lifts it up. Because you're like, wow, God is still moving. God is still real. God is still on the throne. God is still the one that I can trust in. God is still the one that I can hope in. So here's what I want to challenge every single person in this room to do. doesn't matter where you are in your spiritual journey, okay? I mean, you could be at the very beginning stage, or you could have, this, you know, you could have been in church every Sunday your entire life. This is what I want to challenge you to do. Any opportunity that you get, give God the glory. Now, for some of you, that might feel wacky and uncomfortable, and you're like, who would I even tell about that? Find somebody and tell them. Find a way to do it in a subtle way, whatever, okay? What that does, it's, a, it's tremendously strengthening and uplifting. God desires to display his glory to strengthen all of us as we seek to follow him and to know that he's worthy to be followed. He's trustworthy. We can put our hope in him. Any chance you get, any chance you get, any prayer that gets answered, anything, any God thing that happens to you, find somebody and tell them about it. Any chance you get, give God the glory. God wants the glory, but it's for our sake that he wants that glory. So those are the two things. God chooses the most unlikely person to be the leader of the Israelites as they journey out of Egypt. He chose Moses for two reasons. Not interested in the resume. Not interested in what the person looks like on paper, what they've done in the past. God is interested in our heart. And second, ultimately, he does this. So it's clear who should get the glory. And ultimately, that is for our sake. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, how it speaks to us. Lord, uh, I know there are many of us in this room, and we feel very underqualified. Lord, we just have this default way of when we think about what we can do for you, what we can do for your church, what we can do for your kingdom, we, we start with our resume. It's just the way we have been so impacted by, by our culture and our world today. Uh, thank you for the reminder, God, that, that you don't care about that. You don't care about our past. You don't care about our training. God, you, you don't care, you know, how qualified we are. But that you care about our hearts and meeting us there. So, God, I just pray that you would encourage every single person to pursue what it is that you put on their heart to do. Lord, uh, and, and help us all to give you the glory that you deserve ultimately not for your own sake but for our sake to encourage each other lord we thank you so much for this time we pray these things in christ's name